0: Hi, I'm Connie Loises.
1: And this is Alex Gove.
0: And this is Strictly VC Download.
1: Hey there. Hope you've had a great week and have big plans for the weekend. We're going to play some tennis and enjoy a little sun for a change. But before we get too far afield here... Do you ever wonder why venture capital sometimes seems to be out of sync with the rest of the world? Yes, public tech stocks are depressed, and yes, companies like Amazon are laying off employees in the tens of thousands, but some areas of VC have never burned brighter. Take AI, hard on the heels of Microsoft's Monday announcement that it had invested $10 billion in open AI, The Times is reporting that two-year-old Anthropic, a generative artificial intelligence startup founded by OpenAI veterans, is raising $300 million at a $7 billion valuation. That's almost double the valuation it nabbed when it raised $700 million last year. Anthropic has not released a product yet, nor given much of a sign about what kind of products it intends to release— But it does seem to be placing a great deal of emphasis on developing what it calls a constitutional AI to train AI systems to remain, quote, helpful, honest, and harmless. Anthropic could have perhaps used this technology when it decided to take money from Samuel Bankman Freed, who invested more than $500 million in the startup. Now that FTX has filed for bankruptcy protection, the Times speculates that a bankruptcy court could ask for the return of the money. Ouch. As it happens, another startup in generative AI is also in the market to raise big bucks. According to The Information, an AI chatbot called Character that was founded by two former Google researchers is looking to raise up to $250 million at a valuation in excess of $1 billion. The word you're searching for right now is chutzpah. And then there's Paradigm, a startup in a completely different space that's also courting unicorn status. Thanks to Arch Venture Partners, General Catalyst, unnamed Sovereign Wealth Funds, and the American Cancer Society's Bright Edge Fund, two-year-old Paradigm is announcing today that it has raised $200 million to streamline the clinical trials process for doctors, researchers, and big pharmaceutical companies. Paradigm says it can peer into a patient's electronic medical records in a privacy-compliant way and pull out information that could be used in clinical trials. According to the Times, it would make money by charging pharmaceutical companies for finding patients and administering the trials, and by using its technology to cut costs. If you think the idea of a startup scrounging around in your medical records sounds a little dodgy, join the club. Maybe there's something we're missing. Still, the takeaway here is there is some good news out there in the technology world, and that's good enough for me. We have a great show for you today. Connie is speaking to Neil Sakara, a longtime venture investor at General Catalyst, who left to co-found DeFi VC, which focuses on incubating and investing in enterprise and consumer deals. Some notable DeFi deals include Arena Club, a startup co-founded by baseball legend Derek Jeter that digitizes sports trading cards. But first, a word from our sponsor. Did you know that incorrectly reporting your emissions, or worse yet, not understanding them in the first place, is a form of greenwashing? It's time to get ahead of regulations and quit misleading customers and stakeholders, Get a handle on your carbon footprint with Sustain Life's Complete Carbon Accounting and ESG platform. Learn how to increase the ROI of your ESG program. Visit sustain.life strictlyvc. That's sustain.life strictlyvc.
0: So congratulations on raising yet another fund. One thing I wanted to talk to you about just in the sort of like bigger scheme of things is what is going on out there? I mean, there was a slowdown for a second, and now I'm being hit every day by GPs who are telling me that they've raised new funds. And at the same time, I think yesterday there was something like 50 companies that announced fundraises, And I just am kind of <laughs> trying to make sense of it. The conversations I'm having with LPs who say, you know, we're trying to be really cautious and we're trying to kind of curb requests with on the other side of things, everyone having more capital to invest.
2: Well, thank you again for having me on. And uh, yes, we are excited about our third fund. I think what's happening out there, Connie, is that there's a little bit of a lag, right? Mm -hmm. So a few of the funds were raised a little bit earlier. Most, I think, of the funds that you'll see have track records, we're on our third fund, right? And I think you saw a few others that you've reported on that have had a few funds uh, in history. And those usually will continue to raise capital, right? And I think what you've seen previously is a lot more new funds raising, and I think you'll see fewer of those. And speaking with limited partners, you know, it is a difficult time and they are really thinking hard about how their portfolio looks and making tougher decisions. And I think that's what this year, 2023, will be. And I think you'll see that it just lags a little bit. Mm -hmm. And in terms of companies, what we found actually is companies that are doing well, that have revenue, that are growing fast, they're still getting financed. Interestingly, at our firm, we had 13 up rounds of financing last year, which is quite a lot during a turbulent time. But most of our businesses tend to be revenue generating, even though they're early stage, they're in spaces that people find interesting. And that's exciting. So I I do think some of it's lagging, you know, in the upcoming months, I think you'll see fewer new funds getting financed and fewer companies getting financed.
0: Can I ask when you closed your fund?
2: Yeah. So we closed it mid-year last year and we activated three months ago. So we were definitely at the end of our fundraise, kind of during an interesting time in the NASDAQ and world geopolitical issues, but it all worked out. We're very fortunate in that our entire LP base is US Institutional Endowment Nonprofit Foundation. And those tend to be long-term investors. So when we went back to market for the third fund, those folks committed quite early to fund three. And then we found some great new folks who we liked. And at the time we felt like the the market was definitely not as good as it was a couple of years ago. You can mm-hmm. you could just tell, right? Mm-hmm. The feedback you get. But if you have supportive investors, that's the most important part long term. Sure. And that's why they tend to be the hardest to get early on when we invested that time in fund one and fund two. Having those folks behind us uh took longer, but now that kind of pays off during more challenging times.
0: Sure. And I know once they have a successful relationship with a GP, they tend to stick with them. So you weren't quite done fundraising. Is that why you decided to hold off now? Because to your point about this lag, you're absolutely right. Most of the people that I'm talking with that are announcing their funds actually did close them in the fourth quarter or sometimes even in the third quarter of last year. And I haven't really talked to them quite enough about why they are announcing the funding now. I mean, of course it makes a lot of sense when competition is I guess less intense, and mm-hmm. founders are looking for you know who's got who's still mm-hmm. investing, and there are deals to be had perhaps. But I'm just kind of curious what your thinking was last year and why wait. We-
2: Sure, absolutely. So we were still investing out of Fund 2. And we were doing the prudent thing for our firm and that we talked to investors while we're still currently investing out of Mm -hmm. another fund. Mm -hmm. And so when we activate Fund 3 is when we really focus on just that fund purely. So that's, I think, why people have waited a little bit in that they were still investing. And because of the opportunities that came up in 2022 we were able to still continue to invest previous funds and uh, but you're right also at this point in time i honestly think connie that 2023 will be the best year for venture investing if you have capital yeah, I think one thing we were talking about at our partner meeting yesterday was a year ago, really 10 months ago, we looked at our portfolio. I would say 90% of firms looked at their portfolio and said, hey, let's make sure our companies have 12 to 18 months of cash, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And let's make sure they have that runway. And guess what? We're coming up on 12 months. <laughs> right. And when you look out another 18, there will be great companies with great entrepreneurs who have real passion behind what they're building. But the capital will be likely less available than it had been previously. Mm -hmm. So being able to kind of go through what used to be the process, right, which is getting to know an entrepreneur, spending time with them, making sure they believe that you can be helpful and be a supportive partner and doing all the things that venture capital is supposed to be. It's a really artisanal business. And we've gotten away from that as an industry. And I think that's why 2023 is so exciting, is it's a time back to when venture was a business where you really helped entrepreneurs build their businesses. And, And I think we're returning to that. For us as a firm, when we started, that is why the firm started, right? Was that we thought investing the right size amount of capital, having real ownership, leading all of our deals, being on the boards was the right thing to do six years ago. And that wasn't always in fashion, right? It was hard to stick by our guns for the first three or four years. We actually look back at the stats and between our fund one and our fund two, our pricing only increased 3% because the type of entrepreneur's we like to back are the ones who really want to build a company in partnership. Mm -hmm. So we're big believers in that. We think that's the way venture should be. And I'm almost certain we've returned to that again.
0: Well, I was wondering if partly why it took you a while to deploy your last one was because you were sitting out a lot of rounds. You mentioned you had 13 up rounds last year. Can you tell me how many flat or down rounds you had just to kind of flesh out the picture?
2: Absolutely. I'm not aware of very many down rounds. So I had 13 up rounds. We had notes, I should say, for one, two, three, four, seven companies. Mm-hmm. And we had no down rounds last year. I'm just looking at the numbers. Well, so we were a little bit of an exception, I would mm-hmm. say. We did have a couple of companies that didn't make it. That's pretty normal, right? Sure. But we didn't actually have any down rounds next year. And that doesn't mean I wouldn't expect there to be some coming up, right, in, in 2023. And to answer your previous question, we actually had our slowest paced year in 2021 which is why we continued to invest in 2022, because we didn't see the kind of value or the partnerships that we were looking for in 2021. We actually saw our slowest pace. The other thing we like to joke around about is we actually deployed 20% of Fund 2 in the second quarter of 2020. So when the industry was down 43% in terms Mm -hmm. of total investing, we actually deployed 20% of the fund. And those companies went through, executed our pace load in 2021. But as they came up in 2022 for financing, they were real businesses that were generating revenue and heading in the right direction.
0: That's really great. I am expecting that a lot of companies are going to be running out of money this year, probably taking a hit on their valuations to raise money. Mm -hmm. Do you plan to continue funding your current portfolio and new companies, or do you think you would shop sort of more opportunistically than you have in the past, given that a lot of people are facing this cash crunch?
2: Sure. Obviously, we love supporting our companies. So that is a given. In terms of of new companies, I think it's going to be a mix. I think you're absolutely right, Connie. There's going to be a mix of absolutely new companies starting from scratch, raising their next round of financing, which has been our bread and butter. Right, we'll invest three to ten million dollars, and we'll have a significant stake in the company. Usually, that's called a C plus or an A minus. However, you want to decide, we would take a board seat and be active. I also think there will be, to your point, a number of great opportunities of companies who have a a wonderful team, an excellent business, a strong business model and there just won't be the capital available, and we absolutely will be opportunistic to partner with them. They may already have investors on their cap table who are the size of us, right, larger firms, but we're more than happy to partner with folks like that. And I do think the reason 2023 will be the best year in the last 13 years is because those opportunities are going to present themselves. Mm -hmm. So you have a more reasonable Kind of approach to valuation. you have more willingness of entrepreneurs to partner, not just think of capital as capital. And you have more companies that have some some that have executed, some that have not. The ones that have not executed will unlikely get financed.
0: So tell me a little bit about some of your breakout companies right now. And also, I know that your firm is very young. It's just around six years old. I don't know That's if right. there's many exits at this point.
2: So we have had some great exits. So we had a company called Securely, which was acquired by Golden Gate Capital a couple of years after we invested at a significant multiple on exit. A company called Scubana, which was acquired. We had a company called Pull Request, acquired by HackerOne. We've had actually a number of exits in six years, which usually helps with LPs a little bit to return some capital back. And some of our breakouts in the current portfolio, in fund one, we have a company called Airspace Technologies. It's well over nine figures of ARR. It was one of our earliest investments, and we're incredibly proud of what they've been able to do and execute. In that same fund, we also have a company called Alto in the real estate space that. We've been able to partner with a couple of great firms, and they're continuing to execute.
0: Airspace is a drone management oh, company?
2: Different, different company. So oh. Airspace is a log- all-software logistics provider. Okay. So that means if you need something to get from point A to point B, there mm-hmm. are literally millions of combinations of how to get there. It could be a plane to a boat to a train. And there are different ways to choose how to get there. Pricing, lowest carbon footprint, fastest. Maybe you need an organ delivered exactly at 10 a.m. And they are an all-software solution to actually make that happen. So there's no real company out there that exists like them. And they've grown from literally nothing to well over nine figures in just the few years we've been invested in them. So really wonderful company. Also,
0: the pharmacy...
2: Different, different Alto. Awesome. <laughs> I, don't know how
0: rants, how I know these brands, Exactly,
2: name. Alto is basically a service to find homes that are off list and that we're really excited about. It's mm-hmm. a multiple-time entrepreneur. We're partnered with a couple of wonderful firms there. Ploy. I don't think there's another company called a Ploy. Is a uh, <laughs> health IT company. One of the areas. That we really like is software around healthcare generally, but it's all IT. And Employee provides independent clinics the ability to basically have like a mini workday. Workday is really for larger companies and Employee provides the software for the clinic level. And it's been growing well over 100%, 200% a year. GeneMod is one in that same space that is a all-software solution that helps labs with discovery, if you will, like discovery of, of new solutions for labs. And we have a company called Bazaar in Pakistan. And My partner, Bob, who worked at Stripe and LinkedIn, actually to know the team. And then my partner, Camille, led the deal. And that actually helps individual proprietors, both from software and logistics, to get both financing and to get their actual products delivered to customers, because mm-hmm. that actually is skipping an entire generation, right? Of technology, so we have a, a bit of a diverse, diverse portfolio. One one fun thing we do do, Connie, that a lot of investors don't, but we think it adds alpha to the portfolio, is we like consumer. It ends up only being about fifteen percent of our portfolio, one five, but more recently we. Back Brian Lee again with oh, Derek Jeter. I saw that. I Club. That's right. I've been fortunate to back Brian multiple times at the Honest Company, and we've been partnered for many years. He's actually one of our sages here at Defy, who's been really active with us. and And we think it's it's great. Enterprise is our core. It's eighty five percent of what we do, and I I think for most firms, it's a hundred percent of what they do. But we think doing consumer adds a lot of interesting companies and alpha to the portfolio. And our actually, our enterprise companies learn a lot from our from our consumer companies.
1: Oh,
0: that's interesting. What do they learn? I, and I do think Arena Club is so interesting. Just for listeners, I remember it being a digital trading card company that where you can kind of show off your collection as well online. But I that's know- right. But you can actually send your entire collection to them.
2: Mm-hmm. And then they will use AI instead of people to grade the cards, which oh, is the right thing to do, right? Because people can be inconsistent on how you grade the cards. And mm-hmm. grading a card significantly increases the ability to trade it and to sell it, et cetera. Right. Then they will actually store the card for you and give you an NFT, a digital kind of representation of the card. And they will store it and imagine all of the things you could do once they store it. It's easier to trade because it's trusted, right? Right. It's easier to send. And then you could even do things like over time take a loan against it or do other services. Because you have a real asset that's sitting in your closet right now. So anyone listening who has a big box of <laughs> trading cards <laughs> should send them into Arena Club and they will grade them and they will store them. And you don't have to worry about anything happening to them, which was what happened to Derek Jeter, which is why he was one of the co-founders of, of, somebody of the stole his collection. There was a flood in his house. Oh. And so part of his collection got ruined.
0: Oh my gosh, that's terrible. <laughs> I
2: know.
0: But, but so, and, and then I'm sorry, Neil, in terms of what your enterprise companies learn from consumer that's an interesting point if you could elaborate
2: sure absolutely so consumer when you look at a consumer business and how you think about acquiring customers right in in the old days of enterprise sales in direct enterprise sales there were certain things you did you hired a sales force you did big dinners you took people out to the golf course right that is not how consumer companies acquire people, right? Okay. They leverage social media. They find different ways to touch people using you know, great technology platforms. Mm-hmm. And I think acquisition is probably the thing that our enterprise companies Learn the most from our consumer companies, right? Those kind of legacy ways of trying to build and grow. That's not the way you have to do it. Those sales forces, while very appropriate for the Oracles of the world and the SAPs of the world, that's not the way you want to. And probably the best example that we are not invested in was when Stuart built Slack, right? Slack grew in a completely different way than most enterprise. Companies grew. It was word of mouth. It was the things that kind of a consumer business would actually leverage. So, one is definitely customer acquisition. The second, Connie, is the ease of use for the actual user. So, we have our companies that get together, chat, talk about design. And on the enterprise side, somebody is interfacing with the product, right? And instead of making it in the the kind of more legacy days where they were just difficult to use, Mm -hmm. consumer companies have perfected making it really easy to use their products, Mm -hmm. right? Right. And so so that's how our companies have kind of evolved over time. I'll give you an example of a company called Honorlock that provides AI test proctoring, right? So test proctoring, but using AI. And it's really a combination of an enterprise company because they sell into universities and corporations, but also a consumer company because you need to be really easy to use and be able to have folks kind of adopt the product really easily. Our belief is that there's so many ways that the cross-pollination between the consumer portfolio and the enterprise portfolio really helps everyone grow
0: faster. That's great. And it kind of reminds me of meeting Jennifer Tejada of PagerDuty soon after she had taken over. And she has a background in marketing, but she's running this incident response platform. And she was like, you know, nobody knew how to explain the product in plain English or, or sort of you know make it more accessible to the end customer and so i think she really deserves credit for changing the culture over there into sort of like a more consumer focused mindset she
2: really did and she's amazing and what she's been able to build at pagerduty is an awesome company and she's a wonderful leader
0: so I'm hearing you talk a lot about AI, and of course, I had to ask you if you're as obsessed with AI as everyone else seems to be. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like you've obviously been funding companies that have been using AI. Do you think that there is some major shift that's coming in 2023, or do you think that people are just really excited about realizing that some of these tools are smarter than we thought, like chat G-
2: <laughs> out in the world? I think you hit it on the head with the second one. So we've been investing in and around AI for the entire life cycle of the fund. And we've had a number of companies, Y labs does the infrastructure side of, of basically reporting and ML ops, right? And we have a variety of different applications that use AI and ML and that's been critical. But I think the real attention has been what you said, which is now you're seeing applications that are useful to everyone. And it's not as specific as one technology or one application. OpenAI is is an incredible company and ChatGPT3 is critically important. And that is why I think it's getting so much attention. So Mm. we believe, we are believers. We have been believers (laughs) for the entirety of the fund. I do think that within vertical applications, that's where you're going to see the first big winners outside of OpenAI, right? And the open source applications that exist because there's also open source for open AI, right? But the ones we get really excited about are within, hey, I'm trying to solve a specific problem. Mm -hmm. And that's how I'm using AI. And those applications will see to proliferate. And we're really excited about backing those.
0: And then I guess just looking over the next 12 months, is there anything else bubbling up that you are just now dipping your toe in for the first time or that you think is going to become a bigger trend? Yes. Here's
2: one area that is so out of favor, Connie, that I'm going to bring it up first, which is (laughs) blockchain and the infrastructure and rails that make blockchain. So let me give you the most simple examples. We have a company called Cover Re, which has been a little bit under the radar screen, but wonderful team that we've known for a very long time. And there's a concept of reinsurance. And today, Berkshire Hathaway and Swiss Re are the dominant players in reinsurance. Blockchain is meant to do that, right? You can actually change that whole industry overnight by using blockchain technology. So I just use that as an example. But one of my partners, Brian Rothenberg, has spent a lot of time. Actually, we start and hatch companies here internally. So we actually create companies from scratch. And one of the areas is actually building the rails in and around leveraging blockchain technology and crypto. And honestly, I bring it up because it's so out of favor that people talk about it. It's like, no, 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 this is important technology that will be around for many years. We've actually done really well because we don't buy tokens or we don't trade and we haven't done some of the more high flyer things. We're big into picks and shovels, if you will, that we get excited about. And that's important. Did you
0: guys incubate? Then cover
2: re? We didn't incubate cover re. We invested in cover re because we didn't previously invest in cover, which was part of cover re. And so we did that with Tribe Capital, and um. they've actually partially incubated that company. But we are actually incubating three others that are doing different related blockchain technologies.
0: I did not realize that about your outfit. I guess I thought it was maybe too nascent to be incubating things itself. So uh, you we, come up with we, the idea or you have like uh, entrepreneurs and residents who come up with these ideas and then you help them get off the ground working in your offices or your virtual offices?
2: Yeah. So it depends. We'll do both where there's somebody who comes up with the idea. On the blockchain side, we have a company called Fairwater Labs that is quite Stealth, but there's a website, so it's no longer stealth, right, Connie? But it's called Fairwater Labs. And the idea behind Fairwater Labs is that you can create dual-use technology for the government and for defense that will be used in the enterprise. And in that case, we actually have a process where we identify large market segments that are in need by defense or government needs. Where you might be able to secure grants to solve part of the problem, and we'll make investments there mm-hmm. because you immediately get a customer, right? And you're immediately in market. and then we take that technology and we will then go move it into the enterprise. And that's just another example of how we create and hatch companies internally is we usually have kind of a thesis about why. There's a need in a particular market and we'll do a bunch of work and research, write a business plan literally from scratch. And then in those cases, bring in an entrepreneur who will kind of run with it from there. So I previously worked at a general catalyst for number of years, 12 years actually. And that was core to how GC operated. It was an important part where if there was a business, my former partner, Joel Cutler started, co-founded a company called kayak.com, seeing a particular need in the market that that needed to be addressed. And here we, we've Taking that, I think, into almost a different level where we have, okay, this particular market segment really needs to be reinvented. Here's how we're going to hatch a few companies, and then we're going to bring in people to help us run those and go from there. So if there are interesting folks listening who are interested in partnering with us on those, please, please feel free to reach out. Because we really think that doing that prepared mind work and actually creating companies is one way we're accretive to the market. So that's an important word. About 43% of our investments at Defy actually never went to market which is a huge number. So we would call those proprietary deals. A percentage of those, of that 43%, are hatches or things we created in-house. And then the others are usually people we backed before, or we want to back them again, right?
0: When you say never went to market, means somebody swooped in and said, we want to write you a check before you shop this deal around.
2: Correct. That's usually because we know the individual or we have a relationship or there's a really good fit. My partner, Bob, worked at Stripe and LinkedIn. My partner, Madison, has deep expertise in fashion and consumer. She is really a consumer specialist. Our partner, Camille, has very vertical SaaS focus. So sometimes there's areas where we'll meet an entrepreneur before they're ready to go to market. Mm -hmm. And we'll just offer them a fair deal, we usually tell them we're not necessarily going to be your highest price, but we won't be your lowest price. Mm -hmm. Here's what we think is a fair deal. And that's why we try to be honest. We try to have integrity and we try to be thoughtful and be real honest with entrepreneurs. And that has really served us well. And that's why almost 50% of our deals, 43 are proprietary. Some percentage of that are things we create. And the reason we think that's valuable is the ones we create are actually accretive to the market. So uh, other venture firms like to partner with us because those are totally new, right? And then the ones where we've worked with an entrepreneur before, it's much easier for us to get over the line and to get on board Or if there's a specialty, like my partner, Brian, who really knows marketplaces, if there's a specialty there and and we get really passionate about a particular business, we'll just say, hey, look, we're willing to give you a fair deal. And we love the word fair, right? If you think we're the right partner and we can provide the most value to you, please come to us, right? And you want to do this in partnership, not just capital. You want somebody on your board who wants to help and provide guidance and open their network up and be really supportive, even through the good times and the bad times, have the capital, which is one reason our new fund is $300 have the capital to really execute and be able to follow on and introduce it to our friends at market. That's kind of our goal.
0: To be really clear, you did not incubate Arena Club. Because Brian
2: is... We did not. Arena Club was Brian Lee 100%. In some ways, he incubated it with Derek. He and Derek DJ were brainstorming ideas. And Mm -hmm. that's its incubation of its own. But we cannot take responsibility for that. (laughs) That was Brian creating it. We happened to be the first investor. And we are so proud of it. And it's a really, really fun business that we're excited about the road ahead.
0: Neil, I also just wondered, because you have been a VC for so long and you've seen, I think it's interesting that you're incubating these companies. More firms started doing that in recent years, partly out of necessity, because things were just getting bid so quickly out of control that by the time you talk to somebody at a post-seed A stage. They'd already given away 30% of their company and the valuation was insane. I'm wondering if A, you think you'll be perhaps less focused on it internally. And then B, if you think that people will kind of back away from being so aggressive about trying to incubate things and including approaching people at operating companies and trying to persuade them to leave to start companies. It seems sort of like that would have to happen, that there would be kind of a pullback. But I'm just curious, again, what you think.
2: So we'll continue to incubate. Absolutely. Because for us, it's both an important differentiator for us in some ways, the way we incubate, because we think our approach is slightly different, which we can discuss some other time. But I do think there will be an overall decrease because Honestly, Connie, it's quite a bit of work. And then when you're trying to pull people out from companies to do that, I so I do think on a macro level, it will decrease. And as I said earlier, look, we love to create and incubate. Um, we always support our current companies. But this is going to be a unique year in 2023 where there will also be businesses that are wonderful and incredible founders and are executing. But it's unlikely the capital markets will be as open as they have been. Right. And we're also excited about partnering with those folks sure. as well. And that's why I think this is going to be the best year since probably 2009 to 10 to invest.
0: Great, great, great. Well, Neil, it's always really fun catching up with you. Congratulations again on your continued momentum. And let's let's definitely stay in touch.
2: Great. Thank you so much, Connie. I always enjoy chatting with you.
1: That's it. Thanks for listening, everybody. And special thanks to Sustain.Life, Make sure to check out their site at sustain.life slash strictlyvc. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you back here next week.